Welcome to the very first episode of the Infinite Energy Podcast. I am Danny Mueller, VP of Sales and Marketing at Frank and Solar Americas, and with me is Alexander Wolf, Product Engineer at Frank and Solar. Um, Great to be here. Yeah, uh, exciting um, to do this with you, Alex. Will um, the the purpose of this uh, podcast is going to be that Alex and I will be talking to industry experts from uh, the solar industry. Uh, it'll be a variety of people from uh, solar installers to manufacturers to engineers, uh, policy makers, etc. So we're really excited about doing this. We've kind of been working on this for a long time, Alex, haven't we? <laughs> Indeed. Um, so since this is our first podcast, we quickly want to talk a little bit about uh, Franken Solar and who we are um, here in the Canadian market and kind of where we came from. So, Alex, why don't you why don't you give us a little bit of a um, overview about Franken Solar? Yeah, Franken Solar uh, was a German distributor um, for solar components um, very early in the German feed-in tariff market. Founded in 1990, so uh, a few decades in the industry. And uh, Franken Solar, based in uh, the Franken region, hence the name Franken Solar, uh, located in, in Nuremberg. Um, which is I Bavaria. Myself, which is Bavaria. I myself, yeah. being German, I'm not from Bavaria and not from Nuremberg. But you're close um, by. But it's, it's close, exactly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> probably two hours of, of a drive. Um, but Franke Solar used to be, I think, the second or third largest distributor uh, at the time. And um, with the German solar market uh, being a little bit in a turmoil in the 2011-2012 uh, timeframe, Franken Solar opened uh, quite a few uh, subsidiaries in uh, other markets in the world, including at that time the Ontario uh, market uh, with the feed-in tariff that was introduced uh, a couple of years earlier. And yeah, Franken Solar is here in Ontario and then in Canada since 2011. Very excited uh, to be here in the Canadian market. And there are a few other uh, subsidiaries that are still in operation, like in the Czech Republic, for example, and some other places. Um, yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, we did have a management buyout in, what was it, 2015, 2016? 2016, beginning of yeah. 2016, exactly. We have a management buyout, so we're um, fully independent at this point. Canadian um, owned now, Canadian exactly. owned. Yeah. Um, and we've really seen a lot of progress here over the, specifically the last three or four years. It's been, it's been pretty wild what's happened um, in the Canadian market, which used to be just an Ontario-based market until like 2015 or so. Pretty much. Um, and then we saw a big, big um, growth in, at first, uh, Alberta, I think, was really big. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Eastern Canada, um, Atlantic Canada has been really, really big as well. Um, uh, and all, all across. I, I always say we're coast to coast to coast now. Uh, pretty much in every province we're active. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the Franken Solar part, and uh, we really what 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 makes us a little bit different is that we we take a lot of pride um, in helping solar installers pick the right products for their systems, um, not and not necessarily what's best for us, but really what's best for the the uh, solar installer in the short and in the long term, helping them pick reliable products that are 
that are um, that 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 make um, make the systems more affordable uh, to the end customer as well. So and design system the correct way. Um, it's not only about the product; it's also about the entire design process, selection process of product that works for a specific application. A lot can be done wrong, I would almost say, um, if you don't pick something that works for your customer, for your specific uh, territory or jurisdiction you're installing in and for what your business uh, yeah, typically installs and how you set up your business. A residential installer installing hundreds of small systems is a very, very different um, selection process than if you install larger commercial systems on rooftops or even ground mount systems on a very large scale. So knowing really what you want to do, who your customer is and your application, picking the right components is extremely important. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know the, the thing is, what's, what's the right product for solar installer A that focuses on residential may not be the right product for res, uh, installer B that also does residential products, projects because their priorities may be different, right? The amount of systems they different sales pitches, diff different, um, exactly. Different focus on different features that the salespeople in that company uh, bring to the customer and, and focus on has a huge yeah separation between let's say a micro inverter concept for example versus a optimizer based system versus a string inverter concept. So everyone has their own um, yeah sweet spot how they want to tackle the market in their specific. Yeah, um, one more thing about Frank and Solar right now we have. Um, one warehouse that we own and operate uh, here in Ontario. Uh, what's really going to be exciting is for us, we're planning to expand into the Western Canadian market. So we have a local warehouse there next year as well, which has been a long time coming, right, Alex? It is. We've been, uh, we've been working on this tirelessly um, for the last year or so. Uh, really, you know, starting to get everything set up and bringing product closer to Western or our Western Canadian customers. I think that's the big difference. Uh, we still ship uh, free of charge for a lot of the shipments um, into the Western Canadian market. Yeah. But having a local warehouse and local inventory um, where we have just faster transition times is a huge advantage uh, for our customers in the West. I think the the big one of the big difference of you know us versus some competitors is that we we try to run run pretty lean um, in order to be able to uh, for, uh, provide the best possible pricing to our customers, right? Um, and that's why I don't think we ever plan to have eight different warehouses across the country. Um, you know, never say never, but I don't think it's it's what we do. Um, we much rather spend that money providing free shipping, for example, to our customers, uh, as well as um, just being able to provide really good pricing and a price on a price list, and not having to, you know, go in at a high price and hope that people are buying at a high price and then do price matching like some other companies do, um, which I think is really important for us. Another point uh, to your point, Danny, um, managing inventory is extremely important. And for our customers, um, it's super important if you, for example, install a residential system that you get your equipment for that specific residential job in one shipment, ideally from one warehouse. Yeah. If you have six, seven, eight warehouses all over the country, uh, we see that uh, in the industry, that some components are not 
in stock in a certain warehouse where the majority of your equipment is being shipped from. So you're now getting shipments from multiple warehouses at multiple times from different uh, carriers where you have to manage when they're coming and they may not be coming in the order you want. So if whatever the, 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 the roof attachments are not being shipped in the first shipments and you get the inverter and maybe the panels first, um, then your crew is on site and doesn't have the equipment that they actually need to begin yeah. the installation process. So having that uh, one location uh, where you get your equipment from and you get all your equipment in one shipment is extremely important to optimize not only our, from a distribution perspective, um, efficiency and keeping the cost down, but also from an installation uh, installer perspective to get that stuff and uh, get the job done in one go without any second shipments or third shipments even. Well, and, and the other thing that's happened in the past was, and we, we did this ourselves, is, is we had an Alberta warehouse at one point that was a third-party logistics warehouse, which some of our competitors still do. And the issue with that is just the quality of quality control is not the same as when you operate. If it's your not own. your own staff, um, it's just on a different level. That works typically for for larger components that are very easily, uh, yeah, packageable and can be shipped. But if it's a more complex pick from very small screw parts in a solar system to large panels and rails and all these things, um, third party was not the way to go and uh, it's just not the same quality level um, how the shipment is being packed, picked and finally shipped uh, to, the, to the customer. Um, <coughs> I, would, I would like to take this conversation a little bit in a different direction now, Alex. Um, <coughs> we, um, we tried to, talk, to find out a little bit more about people, um, the people we work with. Uh, I think <coughs> a lot of people in the solar industry know you already, but um, some don't, and uh, over the years, uh, as a good friend of mine, I've heard a lot of your stories, um, <laughs> and and I, I want to talk a little bit more about about you. And um, you know, uh, we we, we uh, didn't grow up too far from each other. Me growing up in in, in Switzerland, you growing up in in in, um, in Stuttgart around Stuttgart area, um, in Swabia. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and where you came from? Yeah, um, we looked it up. It's about uh, one hour and 45 minutes from where I grew up uh, to uh, where Danny's from in Switzerland. So well, it's, it's, I did that drive, um, funny enough, true, yeah. where last summer when I came to visit you for your, um, for your German wedding celebration, um, where, where I got a, got a ticket on my <laughs> way there because uh, the Swiss are notorious for... Um, for giving out tickets. car tickets, um, but yeah, so we we, uh, we went there and I got to uh, meet your your parents who we've met before, but I got to see the house that you grew up in. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I grew up in a smaller town uh, south of Stuttgart. Uh, the typical, yeah, forty thousand people uh, small town uh, upbringing. Uh, was always a little bit a tinkering guy. Uh, my dad built our own house uh, at that point, uh, besides uh, his full-time job. So I was always part of the construction process, even as a younger uh, guy. Uh, was allowed to uh, run around, uh, play in the dirt piles, um, be on the excavator with my dad and all these things. So I always was a little bit hands-on and had my own tool set and that carries on to this day that I'm very fascinated about construction and tools and uh, doing stuff with my hands and 
Um, I think that carried uh, forward looking into, okay, what are you doing after your high school? Um, I looked into multiple things from mechanical engineering to maybe some aerospace uh, stuff. Uh, but I ended up uh, with electrical engineering because at that point I thought, you know what, um, I'll try it. It's a hard uh, subject to, to get into, uh, but if you never try, you never know if you uh, would have, yeah, or could have done it. And it was pretty much spot on uh, for me uh, and uh, what I like uh, doing. And uh, I did my uh, pre-diploma, which is pretty much a bachelor's degree equivalent uh, here in North America. Uh, at the University of Stuttgart uh, with electrical engineering and then uh, focused my master's thesis, which is then the diploma thesis in Germany, uh, with power electronics and did some high frequency power supplies. Um, at that point, um, I was looking for something in general um, that you could get self-employed, sort of, because a lot of stuff when you go into other topics, you're part of a super big company, like, mm. for example, Mercedes and Porsche and Bosch, the typical companies around Stuttgart where most of my friends are working these days. You're just one engineer out of multiple thousand, and you never really see what is before your little part you're developing, uh, designing, or, or testing, and you never really know what the next step of that little part is. So you don't really have that holistic view uh, what is happening to where you spend your time and, and your, your ideas and your, your sweat getting something working and make it reliable. But in power electronics and specifically then at that point the solar industry was coming up, uh, you had a product that is complicated but you can see the application from an installer putting it in the field all the way into yeah, making that solar inverter at that point uh, work with the grid connection. So you know exactly DC in, AC out, how do we make it most efficient, uh, flexible in the design. That was 2010 at that point. I got an internship actually with a, a local inverter company that was not too far away uh, in Baden-Württemberg, uh, Refusol. And okay. I spent oh. a few years uh, while I was doing my master's thesis uh, with those guys and when I finished uh, my, my diploma and my master's uh, I actually uh, got hired uh, because I knew all the people, I knew the product and I just continued with that development. At that point I was responsible or I was starting with the group that uh, did the Japanese uh, okay. three-phase inverter and then when I became a full-time employee I uh, managed and took care of the team for that uh, Japanese product. So is that uh, is that when you got into solar? Is that your your first experience with solar was with Refusol? Um, not exactly. It was actually one step earlier. Um, and that was when my dad was looking into getting a solar system installed on our house. Uh, and uh, being an electri electrical engineering student, and being very hands-on, we had uh, two companies come in and look at our roof, do the measurements and give us a proposal. And the proposal my dad was sending me, um, or both proposals, uh, were not really what I expected and was not really to my liking. That's and not really surprising, Alex, <laughs> knowing you. Um, and I just started doing my own research and uh, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole on 
looking up uh, which inverter brands they are at that time, which panels were available, how do you do the string design, uh, what racking components, racking manufacture, what makes sense for the tile roofs we have in Europe uh, predominantly. Um, and at one point, once you go through all the steps from the grid application, the inverter selection, uh, how you best connect it with the feed-in tariff program uh, we had at that time, uh, at one point you'd pretty much know exactly all the steps that the installer uh, would have done for you. And since my dad is a very hands-on person, I am a very handy person, we looked at each other, uh, did a little bit of analysis where we can get the equipment from, and uh, we looked at each other and said, okay, um, you know what, we could probably do that ourselves. And uh, that's what we end up doing. Uh, with my brother and a couple of my friends, uh, we installed a 12.96 kilowatt uh, system. Uh, the module size was only 240 watts, 60 cell at that point. Uh, it's a Yingli system uh, for the panels and we have an SMA 15 kilowatt inverter. Um, so that's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that because you always preach oversizing, but in your own first system you undersized your systems. Ex exactly. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more <clears throat> about that and what, what was what's the thought process? The, the thought pro uh, a process behind that uh, was actually relatively simple. So Germany, for example, doesn't really have any capacity restrictions where it's it gets difficult to apply for more AC capacity. So up to a 30 kilowatt AC. Uh, you could do pretty much whatever you like. So selecting a 12 kilowatt or a 10 kilowatt inverter or a 15 kilowatt inverter uh, would not make any difference from an application perspective because no one really cares. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, um, the SMA had the, a 10 kilowatt unit and then they had a gap in the market and then they had a 15, 17 and 20 kilowatt unit. The funny part was that the 10 kilowatt was almost as, as the same price as the 15 kilowatt unit. And um, I was already thinking about, at that point, <laughs> 2011 was that, um, what, what could we do probably with our garage roof, which we still had without any solar, and we still had a north side. So I was thinking about, hmm, maybe we, I buy the bigger unit, I think it was 180 euros more expensive, so not negligible, big, yeah. negligible in the big... Uh, uh, picture of the whole uh, cost of the system at that time and uh, the bigger unit was also uh, had a little bit uh, better operation range uh, from the DC side and I also had some other ideas uh, when it comes to high penetration so looking 10, 15, 20 years in the future when everyone in your street has uh, solar um, you can do a lot of things with power factor and, and stuff like that to uh, yeah, affect the voltage and make your system more stable. Um, not that this is uh, the official message, uh, but uh, these are things that you can do if you have a little bit more inverter capacity available, uh, specifically in the German market. And uh, at that point, I, I said, you know what, spend 180 bucks, get a bigger unit, uh, it doesn't really hurt. Um, but yes, um, for most applications in the Canadian market, um, and with significantly lower inverter cost uh, these days, um, the spread between some of the manufacturers' power classes is larger. And when you look into electrical panel in the Canadian market uh, for behind the meter systems, um, it matters if, topic, it matters if you have a 9 or 9.6 kilowatt inverter that fits on a 50 amp breaker, or if you go to a 11.4 where you may need a bigger electrical panel or you need a splitter box because your bus bar rating uh, is affecting you. So at that point, it's not only the cost of the inverter anymore, it's 
your application, some policy restrictions like in Ontario, the 10 kilowatt limit we have, um, and secondary costs like electrical uh, panel size, bus bar rating, service upgrade that may be needed. And at that point, the cost is much larger and oversizing at that point would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, Which kind of brings us back to designing the systems right, right, for, for each specific... Knowing your market, knowing market your product, and, and knowing how you can play with different uh, parameters and understanding what the outcome will be or the outcome is uh, when you have oversizing, no oversizing, smaller, bigger inverter, panel, bus bar ratings, and these kind of things. So, so yeah, so we're working at Refusol, I guess, is the, where we kind of left off um, prior to, to going uh, back into your um, start into solar. But uh, so Refusol, uh, you were um, in charge of the Japanese market. How do you end up in, in, in Canada, of all um, places? Interesting story. So the, the Japanese product uh, was is very, very similar to um, requirements uh, at, for, or for the North American product at this time. So UL requirements and some of the Japanese chat requirements um, were matching. So um, I knew a lot of the US topics and issues from a development perspective, what our US teams were facing because of the similarity to the Japanese market. And then at that time, Refusol got bought by Advanced Energy, so an inverter manufacturer that is no longer in the market uh, in the US uh, these days, they left the market. But at that time, they were looking for a string inverter three-phase product because the US market in the 2012, 2013, 2014 timeframe didn't really have a large power low-weight, high-efficiency three-phase inverter. Yeah. A lot of stuff was done with uh, three single-phase inverter um, grouped together in a three-phase configuration. The SMA tower, for example, comes into Sunny Mini Central, yeah. the three 10-kilowatt units together to a 30-kilowatt. Or then uh, very large, very heavy, relatively inefficient 30, 100-kilowatt units that weigh with its 600 pounds or something like that and were super expensive. And uh, Refusol at that point had a 38 kilogram, uh, 20 and 24 kilowatt unit, which was a game changer to the, to the industry in North America. And that's why Advanced Energy was interested in um, uh, the European manufacturer that had that product and had a product ready to uh, be deployed in the North American market. And with that uh, purchase, they were looking for someone who knew the product and was willing to relocate either to the US or the Canadian market. And Advanced Energy had a, an office in Mississauga. And yeah, I said, I'm the guy and no one else really wanted to, to move to the US or to Canada at that point in the engineering department. Um, and yeah, I got hired in Mississauga in 2014 and uh, became the product manager for the US product uh, line in that three-phase uh, string inverter. And that's how I came to, to Canada. So why did you choose Mississauga over the US? What were your options in the US? Where could you have It was uh, Bend, Oregon. Um, Oregon. Beautiful place. I absolutely love Oregon. Uh, been there multiple, multiple times. Um, two reasons, actually. Uh, made the final decision. Um, first, uh, in 2011, I actually uh, spent some time in Canada uh, in Collingwood um, with some 
the family uh, that my dad uh, knew from his uh, successor in his previous role. Uh, so multiple level related, <laughs> but I ended up in Collingwood and I absolutely loved the Canadian uh, lifestyle and the work-life balance with Blue Mountain and the water and boating and uh, kayaking. And it's a nice space. area. It's, it's a very nice area and a very nice family, loved the whole thing. Uh, so I already had some ties to Ontario at that point. And the other reason is in, in the US, if you get a work permit that is issued by uh, your employer, it's a work permit tied to that employer. So there's a lot more risk uh, that is uh, yeah, put into that basket when you get a work permit only to that specific company. If something goes wrong or whatever happens, then you are immediately being kicked out of the country. And if you make these big steps in your life, uh, that you move to a different country and uh, you're trying to build your life at that point, um, there's just too much risk. Um, so the Canadian system is a little bit more uh, friendly when it comes to that, getting a new work permit for a different company. Uh, is easier, and that's exactly what happened. Actually, I was just um, gonna, I was gonna take it there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what um, happened? A year and a half later, uh, Advanced Energy decided to leave the solar industry and refocus on their, um, yeah, chip industry and power supplies, the other business units, uh, what they're doing there, and with that uh, change, they laid off pretty much the entire uh, team in the solar industry and the solar business unit including myself. And um, yeah, that's actually how I uh, got to meet uh, Peter Müller and how I uh, joined Frank and Solar a little bit later. So yeah. Tell us that uh, story. Tell us how, how did you like, how did you meet my dad, uh, Peter? Um, and how did you end up at Frank and Solar? So the, the solar industry in Canada at that time was pretty much focused in, in the Ontario market. And the Ontario market was, it's a very familiar market, it's not super big, you know the people. And of course, uh, being with a manufacturer locally here in Ontario, um, you know your customers and you know the projects. And uh, Peter was actually one of uh, our customers at AE at that yeah. point, with a few projects on the commercial side. Uh, we sold him a few hundred megawatt, uh, 400 kilowatts at that point. No, no, not megawatts. <laughs> a few hundred kilowatts, exactly. And um, we, we met at the uh, the Kansia show. Yeah, uh, Solar Canada, right? Which uh, is now called ETC. Exactly, correct. Uh, which will be in Calgary and again this year. I was year. just walking yeah. into the Frank and Solar booth and uh, started chatting with Peter. And, and uh, I don't know how we ended up with the con conversation that uh, I'm looking for a job or I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm generally interested. Uh, I never really looked for a job specifically for being with a distributor. It just one came to the other and uh, we hit it off well and yeah. met uh, a couple of weeks later uh, over lunch and discussed what the ideas are and where Peter uh, sees Frank and Solar and um, I liked what I heard and yeah. And you did an internship with us first, right? <laughs> Funny thing, exactly. Um, between my visa application um, going through and everything and, and that I, yeah, Spent uh, two weeks uh, getting to know the team at that point in Mississauga as well, because yeah, Frank and Solar initially uh, had the office and the warehouse in Mississauga. Uh, got to know the team. Uh, Peter, you were there as well uh, at that time. And yeah, uh, I liked what I saw and I signed my contract. <laughs> yeah, I still remember Peter was um, 
at that uh, at that uh, Solar Canada show back then. Uh, Peter came to me afterwards. He's like, yeah, I met this really interesting <laughs> German guy and it's an engineer. I'm like, yeah, whatever. We sure. do this all the time. <laughs> like, you know, it's. Uh, uh, do we really need that? You know, um, but anyways, it was it, a smaller team. At I that mean, time. we were a yeah. very small team back then. I think we were like five, six people. So it plus, was plus the warehouse. Yeah. Plus the warehouse. So it was it was pretty small. But uh, I mean, so lucky for Frank and Solar to have have um, you know run into you and uh, the, the timing just worked. Could out not perf- have been perfect for everyone, right? And uh, I think uh, I mean, obviously, we're so happy to. To have you on this team. Yeah, same same from my um, side. Love what I'm doing and uh, could not imagine anything else. Yeah, so and then yeah. and then um, so so that's kind of how you got into solar and um, what does Alex like to do on his personal time? Like what do you do? I mean, other than the many, many hours you spend in the office. Um, I I like tinkering with stuff, of course. So um, as much as I like uh, designing systems for solar or troubleshooting problems of other people, I also troubleshoot. I like to troubleshoot and and uh, look into things. Um, yeah, pretty much in the office or at home or with other people. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a big car guy. Um, really? I, yeah, I'm. A, I love North American muscle cars. Uh, when I was in, in Ontario here in 2011 uh, in Collingwood, I actually bought a uh, 1976 Corvette Stingray and I brought it over to Germany after. Uh, that's the funny part, a year later. Um, love the car, I love V8s, I love the sound. It's just something that uh, European uh, sports cars don't have. They have a different style and I, different I like those, those cars too in the sound, but um, yeah. North American muscle is just its own category. Uh, I also have a classic uh, VW bus uh, transporter in Germany still. That was my first car I bought and I still have it. It's parked at my mom's uh, place right now. I I cannot sell it because I'm emotionally attached to that one. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, big big car guy at the moment. uh, I'm lacking a little bit of garage space here in Ontario. Yeah, uh, to uh, continue. uh, The (laughs) home prices here are really great these days. So yeah, uh, maybe maybe (laughs) a bit more difficult, right? Exactly. um, For you and your wife to at the moment, it's it's crazy. But it'll come in, and uh, we will definitely add uh, a a classic uh, to it as well. Um, besides that, um, I actually, we spoke about that a few years ago, um, very early on when I was 14, I started an event service, uh, yeah, audiovisual AV company. So we did very early on parties uh, at, at the high school and we did uh, uh, some bands uh, and uh, that developed into not really a hobby anymore. It actually developed into a company. I was doing um, at fourteen. At fourteen, yeah. Yeah. So um, you had your first company at fourteen. I had my first company. I didn't even have, of course, no driver's license. So I, I had uh, friends that are a little bit older. Uh, I hired guys that uh, drove the trucks and my bus and and all the transport and what uh, all the stuff we had. So all the equipment at that time it was all in the analog, uh, yeah, ages. So things were large and heavy. Uh, nowadays, everything is digital and uh, super convenient to take around. Uh, but yeah, uh, we built up equipment and, and uh, did lots of concerts and, and stuff. And that developed more in a commercial thing. So uh, I've done uh, many 
business events uh, where they have uh, speakers out of the whatever uh, ministers or some CEOs that uh, speak in front of a crowd and and do all the, the discussion the, uh, meeting stuff. Uh, we do a lot of uh, architectural lighting. So um, many castles, of course, Europe uh, with many castles um, and events being typically or taking place at those castles. We did some architectural lighting uh, for those customers in a larger scale. Um, and yeah, I did that many, many years. Um, yeah, uh, over a thousand events. I probably have been on four or five hundred weddings. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> And, and did uh, the audio stuff and, and the, uh, the, the lighting stuff for those guys. And that business I sold uh, a couple of years before I, I graduated, uh, just because you have to refocus and it was just too much. But yeah, good times. And um, The business still around? Do you know? Do you follow it? Um, a couple of my, the people I, I worked in the past, uh, they took over that. Um, of course, they developed themselves as well and yeah. they moved the business to a different city. But it's the same core group uh, yeah. that is still doing stuff and it's, it's always good. Um, even at the university, we had a group that uh, was doing some AV stuff and uh, it's always good to, to get some emails once in a while uh, as a follow-up. Uh, <laughs> what is happening, what new stuff they buy and what events they are uh, participating and uh, was a very cool time. Yeah. Which actually financed, like this kind of financed your whole time in school, right? Exactly. That that made it possible to have a car while going to university and, and uh, had a little bit of cash uh, to do certain things uh, at that time, yeah. Which um, one of my favorite stories um, that you always tell is um, your ice making business. And maybe you can tell us, can yeah, tell the, the followers. A, a pretty crazy thing. Uh, within that event service, um, being exposed to all these uh, university parties later, um, I saw that uh, the party organizers had issues getting um, ice cubes for the cocktails. Um, compared to North America, it's not as easy in Germany to just go and, and get a few hundred kilograms of, of ice uh, for a party with a few thousand people. So the organizer was struggling to get uh, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred kilograms of, of ice at once, including whatever ice cubes and crushed ice. So my company was already there um, helping those or being contracted for all the AV stuff. And I said, you know what, I can provide ice cubes for them too. And the margins on ice cubes and frozen water is just insane compared to <laughs> um, yeah, doing uh, audiovisual stuff. And then um, I was just researching a little bit on, on eBay at that point, uh, and I found a commercial ice maker. And uh, I didn't really plan to, uh, to buy that thing. And I didn't really plan to, to get into that ice business, but I had that on the radar. And at one point I was using these auto sniper tools at a time where you can bid at the last second uh, in the early days of, of yeah. eBay. And I just put a few items, because I was very active on, on eBay at the time, put a few items with a, some prices on that sniper. And at one point I was sitting at my computer and I got a pop-up message. Successful bit. And I said, <laughs> um, what, what did I buy? Because it wasn't even on my, uh, on my mind anymore. And indeed, I was successful uh, with, a, with an ice machine. And that machine was one of the larger machines uh, that I was looking at, uh, it had a capacity of uh, 240 kilograms uh, in a 24-hour time frame. And um, yeah, that machine was bigger than I expected when I actually drove there and picked up the machine. And at that point, yeah, 
now I had the machine, what am I doing with it? Because you're not just uh, using it for your own ice cubes uh, if you have a few friends over. And then one came to the, to the other and I said, okay, the capacity is there. Let's offer uh, that capacity to, uh, to my own university group first. And then it was just worth, uh, word of mouth and uh, multiple other universities and other parties started uh, contacting me um, because I also sort of, um, provided the boxes and the cooling equipment and little uh, spoons to serve the ice and industrial ice crushers that you get fresh crushed ice, which was much higher quality than crushed ice out of a bag um, because I did it locally. And I had that full service, including delivery, and people loved that stuff. And um, yeah, um, margin was very good. And I did that uh, for a few years. And another thing that is really came a little bit later, when you're studying electrical engineering and uh, you go through your books and the math for multiple hours a day, with my friends we typically met at, uh, at university and then you go home. Going home you want to do something that you don't really have to think a lot. So you don't want to do something totally crazy. And taking care of the ice machine, you have that electromechanical part, back to the tinkering, aspect, but uh, packaging the ice uh, and, and everything is just something that gives a little bit of balance to that um, brain focus that you have all day. And you have something that brings you down, relaxes a little bit, and uh, yeah. All I can think of every time you tell that story is I can think of Walter White <laughs> from Breaking Bad and I'm kind of picturing you that way. No mafia that you had to deal with or it was pretty, pretty yeah. good that way, right? So, <laughs> yeah. but and fully legal, of course. Um, yeah, I've, I had a license uh, for, for the, the food safety and all, yeah. the, all the stuff you need to do in Germany, of course, highly regulated. Had an extra insurance policy and, and, and all the stuff that comes after. Uh, yeah, lots of uh, cold storage. I rented a cold storage place, had uh, I think 12 different large-scale freezers that I also rented out to, to parties if they want to have storage locally behind the bars and all kinds of things. So uh, it blew up a little bit larger than I initially expected, <laughs> but um, I liked what I was doing, uh, sold that uh, business off to someone and, and um, Very yeah. Very nice. Uh, That's such a cool story. I <laughs> love that nice. story. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so that's that, and um, um, I, I want to talk a little bit um, about kind of the solar industry in Canada. Um, what are kind of some of the things in Canada or across the globe, some of the developments that you're seeing, and um, some of the challenges maybe, and like. I think the biggest positive message um, we're seeing uh, globally as well as here in the Canadian market solar is getting more mature and um, things get easier because it's more mainstream. That is in the sales process, but specifically when it comes to utility companies, uh, inspection of systems, available technology, um, trained technicians and installers, um, every level um, and every segment of that industry is getting more professional because more experience is there and uh, things just get easier. Um, we now see a trend from the initial solar-focused part, so grid-tight solar, that grid-tight battery storage systems are coming. A lot of people are looking into backup systems for residential. We see lots of demand on the commercial scale. And 
battery storage today is probably what grid-tight solar was 10, 12, maybe 15 years ago. So it's relatively new. Utility companies don't really know how to handle it. Um, it's not exactly sure what the value proposition is. Yes, we have early test systems, but it's not a massive established industry. Yeah, it's not very mature yet, for sure. Ex exactly. So the products, the products are mature and, and we already have equipment, but it's not as easy as installing a hot tap, for example, or, yeah. or a CNC machine for a company or something. Um, because it's, it's still new to the engineers, uh, still new to the utility companies. It's not really defined um, what you can do in some scenarios. Even the certification. Policy perspective. Certification is agencies. sort of up to speed, but sort of not fully understood by uh, every stakeholder uh, in the industry. Um, but looking forward, we have very, very good steps that we already see that are implemented or in the pipeline. Uh, we mentioned we have a binational code for battery storage, which makes things easier because we're not only talking about uh, Canadian-focused certification and uh, US-focused certification that are sort of the same but are not the same. Now we have really a certification standard and documentation that is the same for both countries, the US and Canada. And specifically for us in the Canadian market, we benefit of a uh, harmonized standard because no inverter manufacturer or system manufacturer typically is developing something specifically for the Canadian market. It's always the large US market as the driving force to make decisions to bring a certain product into the market. And then the Canadian market is uh, an afterthought. Oh, we have a product in the US. How could that fit into the, unit, uh, in the Canadian market as well? Uh, and that's something we, we certainly benefit if the same certifications that that company that is bringing something to the US will also work in the Canadian market. And there's so many new like storage companies out there. It's, it's absolutely crazy, yeah. Uh, there's not a, a single week where uh, I don't get uh, a new email and a new introduction uh, from someone to a new battery storage yeah. uh, or inverter company that does something uh, predominantly China, of course, uh, uh, that is entering that market and wants to find partners. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult to really pick products that check all the boxes because the North American market with uh, the voltage levels we have, the certification requirements, how North American installers are wiring things um, is, is very different compared to the rest of the world, Europe, Australia, China and all these markets. It's, it's yeah, just different. And a product that is developed in Europe and then be brought uh, to the US or the Canadian market or a product that was first developed in China and being brought to the market does not necessarily fit how a North American installer uh, installs that product and how he or she needs to be compliant with local code. Mm -hmm. So having a product that is really developed with a North American uh, customer and installer in mind is super important. And that uh, also go through all the documentation uh, to the app, uh, how it's being um, implemented for the installer to program certain things uh, for the end customer to see what they are getting and how the system is operational. Uh, it's just a lot more, uh, a lot more features that are built into a battery storage system um, compared to just a grid tight system that gets power from the roof, is feeding it into the grid, and you may or may not have some self-consumption monitoring, but that's pretty much it for that uh, grid-tied solar. For battery storage, typically you have it combined with uh, solar on your roof. 
you have all these options from battery um, backup as the low-hanging fruit yeah. where most of the customers are interested in. It's about a whole ecosystem. Right? It's an ecosystem, exactly. Then you add your, your EV charger, then you want to prioritize uh, the car or the, the home battery over another. Uh, you want to have certain um, yeah, features when it comes to time of use or um, for some peak shaving, not necessarily here in the Canadian market uh, right now, but uh, we see that in California or other markets in the US where the value is not necessarily only in your kilowatt hour per se, it's in the kilowatt hour at a certain time. Yeah, so which that we you, see in Ontario, for example. It's, it's coming, already, exactly. Right? So we see huge overnight rates. Huge policy changes away from a more static uh, yeah, hydro policy uh, towards a dynamic pricing structure, uh, time-based. The next step would be a fully dynamic that uh, you don't have a hard time slot anymore that uh, you just buy it on a, let's say, an energy stock exchange and uh, the power is, or the energy is completely uh, dependent on that specific uh, point in time. So for example, we see that in Europe right now, uh, a huge uh, change in how power is being uh, delivered to the customer. We see still a lot of uh, flat rate services, but all the new players in the industry right now go into a um, dynamic pricing structure. So. If there's a lot of wind and if there's a lot of solar power, the end customer has a huge benefit because the, the kilowatt hour is super cheap. Versus on the opposite end, of course, if there is uh, no sun at night and there is uh, no wind power uh, in the North uh, Sea, um, then the power is quite high. And by having that price indication, customers can react and, uh, of course, in the first step, use their load that they don't turn on the dryer uh, when yeah. the power is super high. They can just see, oh, 24 hours in advance, they see between that and that time, probably the power is more expensive. I may start my dryer or my dishwasher two hours earlier or maybe two hours later. But now you can also bring the battery into the equation and say, okay, I can use the battery to dynamically optimize when I charge the battery from solar or even from the grid at very low energy prices and then use that stored capacity to have a, a zero feed-in, so zero, consum sorry, zero consumption at the time when the power is super expensive. Yeah. So all of a sudden you have totally different use cases beyond just a battery as a backup that the customer has a good feeling that uh, he's not sitting in the dark if the power goes out. Which is also um, really exciting, I think, for us. It makes it interesting in, um, where it's not just installing a solar system um, at a feed-in tariff or a net metering um, price per watt, right? Um, where you where you make a certain amount of money, and it's very it's more about designing a full system again, right? Exactly. And, and that's where the value proposition it, comes. It makes in. it also more challenging for the for the average installer because. In selling a grid-tied system is a relatively straightforward it's thing. It's cookie-cutter. Almost, I would almost say today, you have your simulation tools. Uh, it's relatively easy to give the customer a prediction model based on your uh, roof layout and based on the modules and whatever setup uh, we are proposing to you. Um, this is the annual uh, kilowatt-hour output uh, for that customer. So it's pretty straightforward. But if you now introduce a battery storage system that does more than just the backup portion, um, you now have all these different uh, dynamic sources. It depends on the load profile of the customer. It depends on the, the rate structure of the, of the utility the customer uh, uh, is connected to and what the customer wants to achieve with the system, um, how much capacity is being allocated to 
these additional functions that are layered on top of uh, the base battery function as a backup. Um, and how much do you want to retain on backup? Uh, and all these things make it a little bit more challenging for customers because you can make it super simple and just give ballpark numbers to the customer, or you can have more advanced um, solo simulation tools that also include now a load profile from the customer, but then you have more interaction with the customer. So you need not only to inquire how big his roof is, um, you also need to inquire, can we get an hourly um, load profile, implement a load profile, simulate what can be covered by the solar portion alone, and then estimate based on, let's say the last 12 months, what could that be if we implement a solar system implement a battery, different battery sizes. So yeah. what would a 10 kilowatt hour system do for the customer? What would a 20 kilowatt hour system do for the customer? And see where's the sweet spot and where's the value proposition that the salesperson is pitching to the end customer. And um, I think we still have a lot to learn how best to bring that or those features and that value proposition to the customer and to steer um, the customer's uh, interaction and the sales process to something that works for the salesperson to not spend too much time and that because you can really go into the, the deepest uh, of the analysis and uh, still do uh, efficient sales. I think, uh, and I, I mean, with, with the, the high uptake of storage in Europe specifically, I think what we have seen is prices drop significantly. Um, over the last three years or so. Uh, we have seen some of that, I think, in North America, but we, we haven't as much. Um, what do you think that is? And um, to your point, I just read uh, three days ago um, in a report, uh, the German uh, market for residential has an adoption rate for storage of 70% in 2023. So it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I knew the number was and very high. the German market is huge, right? Exactly, it's, it's absolutely huge. Australia also has a very, very high uh, adoption rate for, for on-site storage. Um, but it's a different mindset and uh, solar got very cheap in, in Europe. Solar got also very cheap here in, in, in Canada and, and the US, uh, most uh, jurisdictions. Um, but now we see that um, vendors and, and companies that have experience with residential storage in the European and as well as in the Australian market, they did already look into the market earlier, but getting into the market in North America was very, very difficult based on certification requirements because it was very tough to comply with the fire propagation testing, for example, under UL 9540, then the new system certification requirements and all these local nuances that are just not really regulated. Now we're at a point where we have a national or, or a binational code actually um, that things are defined, but it's, it was not that, that way all, all the time. Um, what we see right now is that with the growth in the battery manufacturing capacity, predominantly driven by uh, electric vehicles of course, and of course the growth in grid height storage, um, large scale as well as on a smaller scale. There are m multiple companies investing heavily in expanding their manufacturing capabilities. We see the biggest one in the world, of course. Uh, we have the Tesla in North America uh, being very popular with their Powerwall. Uh, BYD in Europe uh, has very high market share. Uh, Pylon Tech is, is extremely successful in Europe and Australia. 
uh, with their systems, uh, specifically on smaller commercial and residential. Uh, and we have a multitude of other smaller battery companies. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is that the market is consolidating. Um, there is no space for 250 different battery manufacturers. And uh, you want to have a, a battery system that is well supported with a multitude of inverters if you have that, uh, let's say, agnostic system in Europe where you have one inverter that can be, or is compatible to, let's say, five different batteries. And these five different batteries are also compatible with 10 different other inverters uh, from different markets. That will not be exactly the case here in North America based on those system certification requirements. But we can see uh, a certain trend as well that uh, we have pre-certified combinations um, where certain inverter brands uh, have either their own battery that may or may not be a labeled battery from someone else or their own design, or we have the similar combination that uh, certain inverter manufacturers specifically, they pick battery partners that they work with and uh, are compatible on the communication side, on the system certification, as well as on the labeling, uh, and that makes it easier. And specifically making it easier for the installer to pick a product that is scalable, more cost effective, and fully certified and documented. Uh, in the past, it was more like a, a pick and choose kind of thing. You bought an inverter from whatever brand and you bought a battery from another brand and you stitched that together. And uh, you spoke with your uh, inspector and uh, the inspection was done based on the underlying certification of each of the products. And that is no longer the case. So now uh, the Canadian code and the new code coming out in, in March uh, for the 2024 uh, CEC um, is really focusing on that system certification. So the manufacturer either has their own system or the inverter manufacturer plus the battery manufacturer, they have to work together to package that as a system. And having that packaging and the documentation really makes it um, more predictable how these systems can be installed and can pass inspection. And it also makes it easier to sell because you know exactly these are the compatible options, these are the scalabilities, I can have a 10, 15, 20 kilowatt hour system or even larger, uh, <clears throat> and uh, it paves the way. And then on top of that, when it comes to more product being available, we see significantly higher competition, and that is driving down prices. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now. And uh, a few of those larger Chinese companies are extremely attractive and extremely yeah, pushing into the Canadian we're having market. a big push. I mean, GrowWatt, for example, for example um, yeah. it's crazy how um, how competitive exactly. they are versus um, some other manufacturers. And, and, and we're not talking half. Um, yeah, and we're not talking about yeah. a small company here. We're talking about a very large um, uh, inverter company that uh, has well, a storage yeah. solution. Um, it's quite exciting. Um, I think there will be really high uptick. And of we will that see further price reduction in the whole thing. Um, uh, as I just said, um, having prices cut in half is a huge step for installers to look into um, options they can provide in the sales process uh, to their customers. So it's not only a sale to or a sale for solar alone as a grid tide. It can also be now. A lot of companies are already doing that. Uh, you can open the door uh, with a sale for for grid tide solar, but you can offer. Oh, we can offer your battery backup system. We can offer your EV charger yeah. that is in that ecosystem um, tied into. Uh, or you can go from the opposite. Uh, we see, for example, huge uh, customer requests 
uh, in areas that currently had uh, ice storms or uh, longer duration power outages, that people really think, okay, um, I just had a, a five-day power outage. Yeah. Um, we had a few cases. Uh, well, Eastern Canada, I think, East had, Coast. A, had a fair bit. I mean, even myself, I had um, Christmas 2022, we had this big blizzard in, um, in Ontario, in southern Ontario with... Uh, ice storms, and we had all of Christmas Eve night. I think there was like eight hours. We had no okay. and I, no no power. And I live in like Orangeville, so it's it's a it's not super town, rural. Well, like it's a town of thirty thousand people, right? So yep. it's it's not super rural, but we had power mm. outages, and I think a lot of it in Nor in in North America, specifically Canada, power lines above ground, right? Sure. That's there, there's there's some gr uh, grid alliance uh, issues that we have. Um, in like certain parts of the country, um, and, and you're and well aware if you're sitting in the cold and your heating is not working. It was and, wild. Um, it was like twelve uh, degrees, yeah. eleven degrees um, in in the house, and I sure wish I had a I had a storage system back then, yeah. right? So, and that is something exactly where where people um, realize, okay, maybe I look into maybe a backup generator on the. That's the low-hanging fruit, and then some which people are think, very okay, popular in North America. Of course, like of Generac course. is a perfect example. Um, All these brands are piggybacking on that that fear of being stuck without power and, and uh, nothing is working. And battery storage um, with price reductions um, will go into that market. Are already addressing yes. that market because it's just easy to have a very smooth transition. There's no generator that needs maintenance, um, and it, it no can, noise. It's typically Completely silent, quiet, right? exactly. And uh, for most of the systems actually have a transfer switch uh, where you can add a generator. So uh, for long duration uh, backup, uh, yep. when, for example, in the winter, the solar system is not capable of recharging uh, your battery that you can live over the next night, for example, um, you can still attach uh, a small or bigger generator um, to make that system as a hybrid, so battery and generator hybrid for people who really want to have that peace of mind. I always call it the backup to the backup system. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but all these, all these systems are possible and all these combinations. It's really, um, it comes down to available product, simplification of the process, clear instructions, a clear electrical code, um, and just more experience um, for vendors, installers, inspectors, and then uh, the customer as well um, to make that uh, more successful. Awesome. So I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, how, how can people get in touch with you, Alex? I think the easiest would be um, on LinkedIn. Um, just uh, type in my name, uh, very easy to find, Alexander Wolf. Um, a lot of people already have my, my email and my uh, telephone number. Uh, I'm talking to a lot of uh, our customers and people in the industry from coast to coast to coast. Uh, I love doing that and, and hearing uh, what, what challenges uh, people are facing uh, all over the country and, and how we can address that. Uh, but yeah, always happy to have a chat and, and uh, feel free to, to reach out to everyone. Perfect. Yeah, as for myself, of course, as well, reach out to me uh, via LinkedIn. Um, you can send emails to us at sales at frankensolar.ca um, if, if there's something we can help you out with. Um, and yeah, so that kind of concludes the first, uh, first podcast here. There will be many more to come. Alex and myself will be talking to all kinds of industry experts. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, until then. Thank you, Danny. Thank you.